I'm excited to be with you. I, I really am. I, I enjoy this and, and I look forward to it. And we're going to be looking at John chapter 13, if you're following on in your Bibles. We're going to be in John chapter 13 and 14. Uh, we're going to mainly be in, in John 14, the first six verses, but we're going to kind of back up to get some context and, and we'll start in John chapter 13. And if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen as well. Uh, but let's just jump right in, shall we? Here's what it says. John 13, I'm going to start in verse 31. It says this, when he had gone out, this is talking about Judas. Judas has just been dismissed from their midst. And it said, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And while I, uh, you, will, uh, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I will say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, and also you are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, we are, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where, I am, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This, of course, is one of the great I am statements that Jesus makes. He makes seven statements, I am statements, in the Gospel of John. This is six of seven. And I know uh, pastors talked a lot about the I am statements. Uh, the, uh, two times ago when I got to preach, I got to preach on the I am, the bread of life statement. Uh, but whenever we get to an I am statement that Jesus makes, we need to pause and really reflect on what is happening because it's a very significant statement. It's significant mainly because the Jews, they would have known, the, the audience around Jesus would have definitely known what Jesus was talking about. It's harder for us uh, to understand fully, but this is strong language that Jesus is using. And not only is Jesus putting himself on the same level as God, but he is saying emphatically with strong language, it could be better understood for us as if he's saying, I and I alone. So here in our text, we get to one of the, probably the most crucial of the I am statements. And he says, I and I alone am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. The other I am statements are found all in John. John 6, uh, 35 is where he'll say, I am the bread of life. In John 8, he'll say, I am the light of the world. He'll say, I'm the door in John 10. 
In John 10, 11 through 15, he'll say, I am the good shepherd. In John 11, he'll say, I am the resurrection and the life. And here in our text in 14, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And then later in 15, he's going to say, I am the true vine. And he's saying, I and I alone, you've got to understand this, get this, this is a strong language, he's making a point. I and I alone am the way. I and I alone am the truth. And I, I alone am the life. And so what I would like to do I'm, uh, over the next few weeks is really just digest this I am statement. I kind of am going to break it up into three parts because there's three parts to it, the way, the truth, and the life. And tonight we'll focus more on the way, and then we'll get to the others as we go on. Before we do that, and, and I know that that text starts in 14 verses 1 through 6, I backed up into chapter 13 to give us a little bit of context, but we really need to understand what is taking place when Jesus makes this statement. That's always important. Uh, this, this, is, this is the Last Supper. Uh, this is Thursday of Passion Week. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, with his followers. He's having a last meal together with them. This is the night he will go and be betrayed. It'll be tomorrow that he's sentenced and executed on the cross. And this setting is important. And I think it's important for us to maybe even to put our mindset of what, about what the disciples and those followers must have been thinking in this moment. I think that that's sometimes helpful. If you can think about just the mindset of disciples, many of them have been with Jesus for, for three years, the whole time. Some have come later, but, but a lot of them have been with him for a long period of time. They've seen Jesus do some incredible things. They've heard him preach and teach in ways that they've never heard before. They, they believe that he is the Messiah. They, they may not get the full extent of what that means, but they believe it to be true. And can you picture what happened on Monday when they came into Jerusalem? To those shouts of Hosanna in the highest. And they're thinking, maybe they're thinking in their minds, finally, it's about to happen. Finally, Jesus, the Messiah, is in their view, is going to take this whole system over. Look out, Romans. Here he comes. But just a, a few short days later, there, the mood has changed. They're in this intimate setting in the upper room. And Jesus is talking to them about leaving them. He's been talking about his death. And he's been trying to explain to them. He's been trying to communicate what that's going to mean to them. They don't understand it fully. And he's been trying to tell them, I, I'm leaving. Not only that, but I'm leaving and you, you can't go. You can't go where I'm going, at least not yet. I mean, imagine this. This is not how it's supposed to be. This is not what the disciples were thinking the end was going to look like. Uh, not only that, Jesus has just dismissed Thomas, or I'm sorry, uh, Judas, one of the disciples, and, and, and said, he's a traitor, he's going to go and, and betray me. And all the confusion that's wrapped around that. Not only that, on top of that, Jesus has just told them that their leader, Peter, is going to deny him three times. I mean, this is, a, this is utter turmoil here. 
This is not how it's supposed to be. This is not how the end of the, the, Jesus' life and ministry was supposed to go in their minds. And with all of this turmoil, everything that's taking place, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to begin to offer his followers, his disciples, some assurance and some comfort. Because he knows that that is going to be needed in a very real way. And in verse 14, the first part of that, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. The problem is their hearts are troubled. <laughs> I mean, the situation that they're in is dire. It's not how they were anticipating it would go. And he's telling them, let, let not your hearts be troubled. And he's going to begin to move into offering them some comfort and some assurance. In fact, he's going to go on to say, I, I, I am leaving you, but I will come again. He'll say that in John 14, 18. He says in John 16, 20, your sorrow will be turned to joy. He's going to assure them that uh, in John 16, 22, I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. He's going to say in John 16, 33, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He's beginning to, he understands that they're going to need some assurance. You ever feel like that? That his followers, his disciples are going to need some hope, to need some assurance, to need some foundation. Then in his high priestly prayer in John 17, he's going to pray for all of his followers, including us, that we would be strengthened and we would have hope and assurance. And on top of all of that, he knows that they're in such a dire need that they need real, tangible help. He's going to go even above and beyond just his words or his actions. And in John 14, 15, and 17, Jesus is going to offer his followers, including us, the ultimate source of comfort and strength. He says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Later in chapter 16, Jesus is going to actually tell them that it's actually better for me to leave. He's going to say, it's actually to your benefit that I leave. Why? Because when I leave, Jesus says, then the promised Holy Spirit can come. The helper and the comforter. What's better than having Jesus physically with us? Having the Holy Spirit in us. I mean, as awesome as it would be, right, to, to be with Jesus physically. I mean, Jesus himself says, it's better for you that I go because the Holy Spirit is going to be your ultimate source of comfort and help. And he offers that to them. And then in verse 16, or I'm sorry, in verse 14b, the second half, he says, believe in God Believe also in me. Now these, his followers, these, these Jews, these are devout Jews. I mean, they've given up their life to follow God, to serve God. And Jesus is saying, you, you believe in God. Now I, I need you to believe in me. They've been with him for, for these years. They've seen him. I mean, they've seen things we can't even imagine. They've seen him heal the 5,000. I'm sorry, to feed the 5,000. They've, they've seen him heal multitudes of people at different times. They've seen him walk on water. They've seen him raise Lazarus back from the dead. They've heard him teach and preach in ways that nobody has ever done. They, they, they've trusted him as their leader, their source, to provide everything they need. And now Jesus is telling them, 
you're gonna have to trust me for more than food and miracles. You're gonna have to trust me with your very lives. You've believed in God, believe and trust in me. And then he's gonna go on to continue this assurance, this, this hope in verses two and three. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. I, I will come again. This again is meant to comfort them. Yes, I am leaving and you cannot go, but I will come again and I will receive you and I will take you. And this idea of the Father's house, this promise of heaven is meant to comfort them, to strengthen them, to give them hope and an assurance that they will have a, a place of their own to dwell. I have a I have a seminary professor, Dr. Bingham, and he said this, a place of one's own has been the basic desire of every human heart since the Garden of Eden. And I thought that was fitting. And here Jesus offers them this desire and us. And then in verse four and five, it moves on and says this, and you know the, uh, and you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, of course it's Thomas, right? Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Thomas gets the bad rap all the time. But think about it. I mean, give Thomas some credit because Jesus has just talked about a destination, my father's house. And so is Thomas still trying to think in terms of a destination? How do I get there? We don't know the way. Do, do I go out the, the street and take a left and go three houses down? Like, what's the path? What's the directions? How do we get there? Uh, Joe Andrews was telling me that the, the Spanish translation of, of Jesus being the way is be, road. I thought that was interesting. And uh, he's always quick to give you the Spanish translation. Of everything, appreciate that. No, I thought that was interesting, though, because that's, that's exactly what's happening here. And Thomas is saying, we don't, we don't know the way. How, do we, how would we know the way? And Jesus is, is trying to get them to understand, because you know me, you know the way. They just don't realize that yet. In verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way. I and I alone am the way. And the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I and I alone am the way. You know me and therefore you know the way. And that's important. And in one verse, in one statement from Christ, we run into a big problem for a lot of people, which is the exclusivity of Christ. I and I alone. It, I mean, it cannot get any clearer than that. There is no other way to the Father except through me. I am the way. And there are a lot of groups, a lot of religious groups, a lot of beliefs, ideologies, all kinds of things that if you got in the same room with them and you talked about what you believe and what they believe, they would probably agree with most of what you believe. I mean, if you were to talk with maybe a Mormon uh, or a devout Catholic or a universalist or, and the list can go on and you talk about some of the things that you believe. I believe that God created the world and that he sent his son Jesus Christ into the world and that Jesus lived this perfect life, that he, he did all these incredible things, he, he healed all these people, did all these miracles, he was put on a cross and died, 
and ascended back into heaven. And that you have to have faith in Jesus to be saved. You know, the Mormon would say, yeah, high five. I believe that too. And even the Catholic would say that. And there are others that would say, yeah, I believe that. Good, we're all, we're all good. What stands Christianity apart, though, is one little word. And it's the word alone. You add the word alone at the end of that phrase, it changes everything for a lot of people. I believe that salvation comes by grace through faith in Christ alone. And that's the stumbling block. That for people is, is where they lose it. Oh, no, no, that, that's, I don't want Because it's not, to a lot of people, it's not just Jesus Christ, it's Jesus plus other things. It's Jesus plus this or this, or you've got to also do this. Or you, it's Jesus plus maybe not really necessarily this, or not Jesus at all. Or is, if it's Jesus, it's just Jesus is one way amongst many ways to get to God. And this problem of exclusivity of Christ has been a stumbling block for many, uh, many people. But it is strong language. It is emphatic. Jesus is saying, I and I alone am the way. It doesn't get any clearer than that. Do you know that there's an ideology out there called natural theology? Natural theology says that basically uh, you have within you just this innate ability to somehow muster up faith in God apart from any working or moving of God, apart from any of God's revelation, apart from certainly the revelation, his ultimate revelation, which is Jesus Christ, apart from any of that, you in your natural state just have the ability to come to faith. And that is taught by many people. Uh, It makes me think of Adam in the garden because God creates Adam, he sticks him in this paradise, and then he does, does he just leave him alone? Does he just back off and say, hopefully he figures it out? No, what does God do? He walks with him, he talks with him, he tells him, hey, take care of the garden. Hey, Adam, name the animals. Adam, take Eve as your wife. Do this and don't do this. Eat this, but don't eat this. What are all of those things? God's revelation. I think even Sunday you said, apart from God's revelation, we know nothing about God. How can we? Man left to his own is never going to just muster up a faith in God. There are other views um, that you can have new revelation. You can have a pope or you can have a, a, a priest Uh, You can have someone in your group that just comes up with new revelation that replaces old revelation. Uh, There's ideologies out there that if you're basically in essentially monotheistic, you believe in one God that there's some, or there's some being out there that's doing everything, as long as you believe in that, God's going to accept that faith that's taught. Uh, There's other teachings as long as you just tried as long as you just tried to seek God in your life, positively or negatively, by the way, uh, some people will even say that some atheists will find God because in their life they were seeking God in some way, even if it's negative. Uh, there's, 
transdispensationalism, that you, you're just going to be treated as if you lived before Christ came. Uh, there's all of these different views out there, and what these are are there are attacks on the gospel. They're attacks on the gospel. Because Jesus himself says, I am the way, and I, and I alone am the way. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And that's really the point that I want us to see tonight. It's this. There are many who struggle with the exclusivism of the gospel. But God allows us no other choice. God offers no variety of ways leading to heaven, only Jesus Christ. And this, this concept is extremely countercultural, right? Especially to the Western culture, to our culture, this is not something that flies with our culture. Our culture is not about being exclusive, are they? Our culture is about being tolerant, um, accepting everyone's views. And to claim to be the only correct view, moral relativism, is incorrect. We'll talk more about that next week. But this is very, very countercultural. So it's a struggle in our culture and to those around us. Uh, let's turn, if we could, to Acts chapter 4. We'll read one more thing here. Acts chapter 4. We're going to be in verse 10. It'll be up on the screen in a second. This is, this is Apostle Paul. Um, I'm sorry, uh, this is Peter. This is Peter and John. They just, they've just healed a man. And then a crowd stirs and begins to come. And this is after the resurrection and ascension. Uh, after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has come. The helper has come. The comforter has come. Uh, they've, they, they've healed this man. And this crowd gathers. And they begin to preach the resurrected Jesus Christ. And the Sanhedrin arrests them, and they bring them before the Sanhedrin, the council. And these are, these are Peter's words. Then Peter, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, oh, I, I backed up a little. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, I just wanted you to catch that, said to them, rulers and people of the elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel but that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is, strong before you, is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. He's quoting Psalm 118. The builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is salvation in no one else. The apostles understood this. The early church fathers understood this. This is what the resurrection implies. That when God raised Jesus from the dead, he made Jesus the cornerstone. God said, I'm going to build a kingdom. I'm going to build a system. And Jesus will be the cornerstone, the foundation of that system. Holds everything up. And the problem is the Jewish leaders, they wanted a different cornerstone. And they rejected Jesus. And for many today, many people want a different stone. They want a different cornerstone. And they reject Jesus. But God has said, I have 
I have set this up, that Jesus is the cornerstone. And there is no other name under heaven with which men might be saved. And Jesus himself says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And man, we get flack for this, don't we? It'd be like if you could think of it this way. Let's say there are 10 pharmaceutical companies. And all 10 of them claim to have found the cure for cancer. All of them say, we found it, we got it. Now let's say that one of them in our analogy, let's say one of them actually found the cure. Which means the other nine are either deceived or they're lying about it. But one of them has found it. Now you would not silence the one, would you? (laughs) You would not expect them to be hush about it. You would expect them to shout it from the rooftops. No, no, don't, don't trust this one. Don't look at that one. We have the cure. But that's what Christianity is. I know that analogy falls short, but it gives us something to think about. In a culture that would say, no, 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 hush about that. You, you claim to have the answer. You claim to have, to know the way. But there are many ways, and there's all these different things. You can't say that. But we know. We know the way. Because we know Jesus Christ. And it is our responsibility. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Why would you go therefore and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of Jesus Christ if he was not the way to God? And he is the way and he is the truth and the life. But why Why is Jesus the way to God? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Like, why? Why is that the way that that, that God chose to do that? I don't know if you've thought about that. I I think the answer is because he's the truth and the life. I think because Jesus is the truth of God and the life in God, that he's the only way to God. But more on that next week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the ultimate revelation of your son, Jesus Christ. Help us, God, in our pursuit of of you, in our pursuit of holiness, in our pursuit of life in general, just to remember the importance it is to proclaim Jesus as the only way to salvation. The one who bore our sin upon the cross. The one who redeemed us in spite of us the one who is seated at your right hand, who even now in this moment is ruling and reigning over all things, sovereign and holy. Thank you that you have given us, that you've even allowed us to have a way to you. And we thank you for Jesus Christ and how he ratified that way for us through the blood of the cross and through his power over sin and death and hell forever. We love you. We thank you. 
And we have gathered together in the great name of Jesus. And it's in that great name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. See you next week, hopefully.